Welcome to the podcast, episode one. This is your host, Nick Garcia. And on the podcast today, I have Sal Retordo, who is a executive vice president for Green Crown Energy and Water. My guy. Second time I'm seeing you today, but just as excited as I normally am. It's a ple- <laughs> pleasure to be here, my guy. Yeah, it is definitely a pleasure to be here twice pleasure. in one day. Got a lift in the morning, and now we're back for a podcast in the afternoon. Now we're back. back what is work. it? Train all night? <laughs> 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 work all day? What was it? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, podcast by night. Heard it. You know what we should have done? If we had the coffees, we should have just uh, dumped the espresso into the coffee. That's, that's game changer right there. That sounds dangerous. I'm a little upset we didn't have that idea, actually. Yeah, it would have been a much uh, much smoother. This is kind of nice because you can lean on this. What do you, do you call mind that? leaning on this? A coffee bomb? It's like the Autobahn, but for coffee. <laughs> if I, had the to Autobahn? I was going car bombs. It's like an I, it's like a, we'll talk, that's if we, a, if we accomplish anything on this podcast, yeah. it's naming that drink. Yeah. So uh, hear me out. You got the Irish car bomb. Okay. What about the Italian car bomb? Wow. <laughs> Which is just coffee with uh, espresso in it. Absolutely zero booze. Yeah, no booze. No booze. No booze. Italians don't need booze. No, they don't need it. They have wine on the side. They have their coffee with a, <laughs> with a bed of grapes. <laughs> not a plate, not a bowl, a oh bed of gosh. grapes. Dude, my grandpa's 90 years old. Still slams. Slams like a bottle of wine with every meal. His, his diet's concerning, actually. I mean, he's made it this far, but morning is a, a corn muffin from Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know if I've mentioned this That's before. That's fucking terrible. Like, dude, he walks into Starbucks. <laughs> it's the biggest, it's the most OG move I've ever seen before. Yeah. You go to Starbucks, or not Starbucks, excuse me, Dunkin' Donuts. You go in with him. It's right next to his tailor shop, which he still goes to at 90. Walks in. There's a coffee and a bag with a corn muffin waiting for him ready to go right doesn't say a word yeah throws the money down doesn't acknowledge anybody there <laughs> grabs his stuff dips does he pay like does he have like yeah, a yeah, charge he throws money down. <laughs> yeah, it's like all right it's i think it's kind of like an understood i i, th- I want to say he throws like 20 bucks down for four dollars worth of shit but Damn. um so yeah all that's, profit that's his move doesn't eat lunch and then for dinner every night eats pasta with beans <laughs> that's an insane diet and pounds wine that's an insane diet. It's amazing. Where's the like in my in my first initial reaction is where's the protein? There's literally zero. I mean, there's a little bit in the beans. The but, beans, baby. Yeah, but you're not getting how much? How much do you he's, think he weighs? He's discreetly rocking like the <laughs> vegan. I don't even know what he's <laughs> yeah, doing yeah. actually, but it's he's actually a hundred percent vegan. There's people that are putting in so much effort to eat exactly like he does. Yeah, <laughs> and he just does it. Does it crushes it. I just can't like at ninety. I'm not sure if I'm gonna like beans that much. At ninety, I'm thinking I'm gonna have some wild shit every day. I mean, it's not like cilantro. You're not pro or completely against it. Listen, you know? I'm I'm anti bean. Anti bean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get the beans out of my food. That's absurd. <laughs> I have a license to kill calories. They- <laughs> <laughs> I got a license Boss. to feast. <laughs> What are we defending against? You License think? to lift. Yeah. You have an L2L. Yeah. I'm allowed to lift those weights now. <laughs> they, they took my limiters off. Speaking of uh, of lifting, nine weeks, right? We just wrapped up week Yeah, nine. this is week nine. Five days a week. Kudos to you. Yeah, you kudos to you. seven workouts this week. Yeah, it was beautiful. I, th- I think the audience 
very deservingly has the right to know that you're an absolute psycho. It's <laughs> a psychopath. And savage. Yeah. Mostly psycho. Mike, mostly psycho. Tiny so what, bit of savage. Why, why, why don't you share? Share what? With our audience, what you did this week. Uh, so I did five days of lifting, and then I did two hour and a half sessions of jujitsu, which is eventually going to turn into three. So the plan is two nights of jujitsu, one night of Muay Thai, or one maybe afternoon, whatever it is. They have it on the weekend. So I think that's going to be like my one activity for either Saturday or Sunday, and I'll have to figure it out with everything. But uh, So we asked this the other day. Somebody asked me, what am I doing all this for? Uh, I, I don't know. It was actually a really awful question to ask me because I have no fucking clue. I did have a reason before. I was like, you know, I'm just going to be a savage. Like, yeah, I'm going to be that guy. But I think it's nice not having a motive. Everybody wants you to have like this, uh, and even with this podcast, like, what's your why? Sometimes you just do. Yeah. And that's it. You don't think about it. You don't think twice about it. You're just going, I'm in here. I'm doing this. It sucks. A lot of life sucks. But you just uh, you just keep grinding through it. I really like adversity. I'm a glutton for pain. I feel like I'm masochistic in some ways too, honestly. I mean, I think this transition to us working out five days a week, every day at 5.30, it was very organic the way it happened. Yeah. Right? So I, I don't want to make it seem like we just flipped a switch and then went <laughs> balls to the wall. No, 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 dude. That's, up the gym at that's what it is. It somewhat gradual. There was some <laughs> yeah. intention behind it, right? But We started at like 6.30 or 6 yeah, o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, <laughs> it just, just dropped so back. Right, back. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, I agree. It, it feels – it definitely feels good not knowing why. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but there's, there's like the very tangible benefits, which is, you know, we're done working out at 6.30, maybe 7.00 depending on the day. Yeah, sometimes you're, eight. Sometimes eight, <laughs> yeah. depending on the conversation. Yeah, yeah. But you're just locked and ready to go, man. I mean, like, yeah. there's a marked difference in the quality of my day, right? Without a doubt. After getting up, and it sounds cheesy, we say it constantly, but, like, getting the worst part of your day over with, yeah. right? Yeah. It's insane. It's, it's just elevated mood. I mean, yeah. Just energy levels, yeah, right? Energy like there's is no midday insane. crash or anything like that. And like, I would expect for that to happen, right? I yeah. would expect to like kind of drag towards the end of the day because I'm definitely getting a little bit less sleep. Without a doubt, that early four forty-five or whatever. But <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, Feels I, leave. Good. I set my alarm at five. I get out of bed at five oh five. That's my second alarm. It's not to go back to sleep. It's hey, get the fuck out of bed. You got to drive now. No, that's the uh, piss your significant other alarm. (laughs) (laughs) And I always like, uh, I get up at five and then I always have to catch myself. I'm like, all right, it's 5.04. And I'm like, oh, fuck, turn off the alarm, turn off the (laughs) alarm, don't go off. Um, But for the longest time, so for like the first, I don't know, eight weeks or nine weeks, wherever we're at, um, I had one on repeat. And I just forgot to keep turning it off. And one day I left my phone upstairs because I had to go back up to get it. And my alarm was just going off. I felt so bad for Brit. I was just like, uh, I'm sorry. I thought I'd, I thought I'd change this. And she's like, you know, you can fucking change that. And I was like, yeah, I, I know now that I can do this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking great. Um, but before this, I, I never got up at five. I hated getting up early. I absolutely hated it. Even in college, like uh, we would go to workouts in spring, so the off season. And we'd have to be, I think, either be at lifting at 5.30 or get up for lifting at 5.30. And 
I was always a night owl. Like I stayed up even on night, even on like those days in the spring, I would stay up to like one, two o'clock and then just go die for an hour at the gym and be like, all right, I'm going to go to my 8 a.m. class now. <laughs> and then uh, I would come back after my classes were done and I would sleep for like four hours. No shit. And then I would just be like, all right, well, this is this is my life. Who wants to drink now? <laughs> yeah, you're either uh, the type of person who could do that and take naps during the day or I'm the complete opposite. Yeah. I'm up no matter what. Yeah. Pretty damn early. Prefer to go to bed somewhat early. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of always been like that unless I'm up drinking or doing something socially, you know what I mean? I'm in bed by nine thirty, ten. Yeah. You know, and it's always been like that for me. I think I can't take big... naps during the day. It's impossible. Why? I, I can't. You just can't. I've tried. Trust me. What about meditation? Um, I can, I can meditate. I don't frequently. Saying that you can, can meditate when you don't. <laughs> what, does, what does that mean? I can do anything I want to do now. <laughs> yeah. I put my mind to it and I achieve it. <laughs> I achieve meditation. I put my mind to putting my mind at ease. Hmm. No. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just don't take naps during the day. Yeah. I take naps like maybe once or twice a month. There's days because I, I, like, I know in my head that I'm working towards something. And I know also in my head that if I don't work towards that, if I don't like take the extra rest and reading this book, uh, I was reading the 5am club recently and they talked about how, like, if you need the rest, rest, it's like, it's such a fucking wild. Like I got in my head. I, for some, whatever reason, I just never made that connection before. I was like, wait, I was like, no, I'll be, I'll be a pussy if I don't rest. Like I'll just keep going. Like I don't need to rest. I'm too strong for this. But now it's like, if there if there's a day like you saw me on Thursday, yeah, <laughs> I got up and like Nick just, was defeated. Yeah, I was defeated. defeated. Even in the weight room, I was even more defeated. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you're defeated when you don't even bother drinking coffee. Anymore. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like this day's gonna suck anyways. So. Yeah, you already know you're going back <laughs> yeah. to sleep. <laughs> yeah. There's no sense in me trying to make this better. Yeah. I'm just going to suffer as much as possible, right? And in my head, and this was this was yesterday, and then in my head, I was thinking like, yeah, we just got. We we just started lifting and I was like, this is too painful. Yeah, I had that I had that one day out of the nine weeks where I was like, ah, this is <laughs> this is just a bit too much. <laughs> All this seems absurd today, and I knew it was gonna be a bad day because as soon as my alarm went off, my mind instantly switched over to, hey, it's okay, go back to sleep. Yeah, just just take that rest, you'll be okay. And then and then it was like, hey, you don't have to go to jujitsu later. Hey, you don't have to do this later. I ended up not going to jujitsu later because I did the night before, and it's the first week. Sure, uh, I was I I Listen, thought in my head workouts in five days is sufficient yeah. for most people, especially when trying something new. So I don't blame you, but you're you're pretty good at silencing your inner bitch. Most of the times, pretty good. I'm really good with uh, like physical stuff, but like yeah. mental stuff where it's like, oh, reach out to these clients. I'm like. Ah, jeez, ah, <laughs> you know, I, I'll get around to it. Reach out to clients. Don't reach out to clients. Yeah, they'll reach out to me. Seems easy. They want a home, right? They it's should reach a out law to of me. attraction, man. If yeah. you're thinking about it, it's bound to happen. Yeah, they need to attract that. They're gonna call me. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's you know that's it's the, in their best interest yeah. to do so. So I'm sure they will. If the law of attraction works, I just need to make them understand that they need to call me. They need to understand how attractive you are. Yeah, yeah, that, you, right. That's yeah, how. It, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. Like they need to look at me and go, "Oh, I, I should call him. <laughs> I should send him a text to follow up to see if he's still working out for me." 
it's such an odd thing. It's like, uh, especially with customer service of all kinds, because we always talk about it. There's, there's supposed to be reciprocation, but if there's no reciprocation, it's like, okay, well, I've reached out to you five times this week. You've answered me when I've texted you, but now it's like, hey, like you need to let me know when you see something or want something. I can't be the one that just constantly reaches out to you. There has to be a give and take here. But what I found is a lot of people just take. And you're like, all right, well. When you're in a service business. Yeah. I mean, it's ubiquitous. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's, does it work any other way? You have great clients. You have clients that yeah. don't necessarily respect your time, right? And that's on all levels. From the smallest transaction possible, the guy yeah. selling the widget to the, I don't know. Yeah, the wasting time. <laughs> transaction <laughs> yeah. world, right? There's time wasters for sure. But I feel like it's nuanced depending on the business, right? Depending on what you're selling exactly. But yeah. just managing expectations, communicating, that's the only thing that you can do when people are dragging their feet on something or not yeah. being responsive, right? I mean, we just had a scenario yesterday, literally yesterday, where in our business on the procurement side, you need to hedge a position for electricity, natural gas, right? By an enrollment deadline, right? To make enrollment with the utility. And one of our clients, this client's actually the largest private owner of real estate in the country. Damn. They decided to wait until two days before the enrollment deadline to hedge. And it's been probably no exaggeration every other day, there's been some form of communication pricing, something like that since June, July. But yeah, they waited till the very last moment, which was incredibly risky. And had they not done so, it would have resulted in a very large mess that we ultimately would have shared some of the blame for, even though yeah. it's not our fault. So, and, and that just, that's it. That's <laughs> so what do you do in a scenario like that? So somebody just pitter pattering and it has to get done right now. It causes the stress on you guys because it's like, okay, well, now they're finally communicating. It's two days before. It's 48 hours beforehand. And let's say it on average takes 12 hours. What do you do? So really acknowledging how much of a strain on resources it is, taking a step back, kind of really sets the tone for how we're going to pursue that outreach, right? Yeah. I mean, our job, what we're paid for, is to help large commercial industrial customers navigate energy markets, which are super volatile, often complex, right? So whether they want to take us up on that advice that they're paying us for, it's their prerogative, right? Yeah. I mean, we cannot force them to execute an agreement or layer in a hedge or do the things we recommend that they do. We're consultants, right? What if they don't know though? Let's say, let's say they come to you and you give them the advice and they, they don't take it, but they also don't know. What happens in that scenario? So it's like, it's your customer now. We failed on the education <laughs> yeah. piece, right? But even despite that, right, you can give a customer all the education in the world. And I think we do a pretty damn good job of it. But some people are so overwhelmed in these purchasing procurement functions. I mean, we work with VPs of finance, CFOs, EVPs of procurement, um, anybody in a buying position who's not just managing energy and utilities for their company, but a yeah. hundred other expenses, right? And now more than ever, companies are super understaffed. Everybody's overwhelmed. Everybody's overworked. Worse. I mean, it's just, so being empathetic, right? Towards what everybody is going through. And again, going back to communication, that's super important, right? Yeah. But um, it's just <laughs> everybody's equally frustrated. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, 
it's a little bit absurd. I think but, there's uh, an underlying tension right now for a lot of people where it's like, even if things are going completely smoothly, there's this underlying tension of like, uh, are things going smoothly? And I don't know if that's uh, with most people's brains where it just kind of enters in, especially if like your market, like energy is a, is a huge topic right now. Uh, amongst a lot of things, especially with the you know, ports being closed or sure. ships being offshore or shortages of oil, shortages of every other type of energy. It's it's, it's kind of crazy to think about where, where we've ended up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> and there's new legislation almost every week that's moving markets an insane oh, yeah. amount, right? So natural gas just had its worst month since 08. Prior <laughs> to that, good. it was up over 200% year over year. Damn. So think about that crazy increase and then precipitous fall, right? So it's our job to try to manage that for clients. That's our core business. So I'll, I'll take a quick step back, right? So uh, I'm a partner in Green Crown Energy and Water. So uh, what we do really at our, at our core, we're an energy broker, right? But our core business extends beyond that. It's really holistic utility management, right? So um, energy brokering is our core business though. So what we call that in the energy space is energy procurement. Um, and really what that entails, like I mentioned before, is going out to market for our customers, helping them navigate these complex energy markets, um, mitigate risk, mitigate volatility and hedge agreements that fit their needs. Right? So we typically work with large commercial industrial customers. Um, help them hedge agreements that protect them from that volatility, fit the type of industry profile that they have. And it's really all about managing risk at the end of the day and promoting budget certainty. What's the biggest risk that you guys face in the energy industry? So let's say that a company, you're trying to procure a company, they come out to you, you talk with them. What is, uh, what is, what is their biggest question? It's like, what, obviously, is what can you do for us? But the, the sure. secondary question is, what is the risk about getting involved with a consultation company for energy? Biggest risk? So in the commercial industrial space, 97% of end users shop for third-party supply. Okay. So if you're in a procurement function at one of these companies, you're responsible for managing an energy portfolio, you're, you're buying from a third-party supplier, right? at some level. Yeah. Products vary obviously, but typically you would come to a broker, right, to help facilitate an RFP, issue a bid, and our value proposition is that we reduce risk for the end user, right? Um, and we help them procure by negotiating terms, provisions. Uh, obviously our RFP process drives mar margin compression, right? Because yeah. we're getting suppliers to compete against one another. Um, and it's, it's a super competitive business, but there aren't many firms that are doing it well. Yeah. It's like most <laughs> other industries, right? Yeah, I would think like uh, if you're not even in the industry, it's like who would you have heard of in the first place that even does something like that? Right. It's and it, like for me, nothing comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, some of our larger competitors, publicly traded competitors are like Schneider Electric, Tradition Energy. Yeah. Those are some of the bigger guys that you'll see like sponsoring PGA events, right? And, mm -hmm. and sports and whatnot, but um. But I, our team's pretty small. There's 13 of us, right? Uh, we recently, actually this year for 2021, won an award from Energy Tech Review, which is kind of a big deal, yeah. right? In our in our niche, our in industry case none circle. Of you didn't know. Top 10 companies in energy procurement. What's up? Boom. Boom. Um, which the team was very stoked about, right? That's and awesome. All of us come from the supplier side of the industry, so something like that means a great deal to us, right? Especially in an extremely crowded space. 
um, and especially after the challenges this past year, year and a half has brought. But for that reason, it's been super busy for us, right? Because at this time, more than ever, ever companies are really trying to control their operating expenses, right? Without doubt. Um, and if you haven't had a sound hedging strategy for commodities, for energy, for natural gas, you know, this is the year, past year, past year and a half, where it's made all the difference. Yeah. Right. Um, but what we do really extends beyond just procurement, right? And we've talked about this before, but we're involved in energy conservation measure, measures. So anything that reduces consumption, LED retrofits, mechanical projects, you know, those could be boiler improvements, HVAC, yeah. um, EC motors. We also have a water conservation division. And what that division does, we actually have a, a patented product that we install mostly on multifamily residential buildings, like larger portfolios that reduces consumption of water while maintaining the same amount of flow. Interesting. So when you think of like a high rise residential building with 400, 500 units, yeah. um, it's guaranteed to reduce water consumption by 15 to 20%. Which is a massive amount when you're talking about that many Insane units. Insane amount. Right. And there's typically a, a one year, one and a half year payback on that. And we could finance it through electricity supply. So that would be capital expenditure turns into an OPEX. Yeah. So the value prop, the sale there, honestly, is, it's super easy. And it's a Trojan horse for us to get into companies yeah, to sell energy procurement. Right? Yeah. You're like, so here's, here's my little breadcrumb. <laughs> yeah. Do you like the way it tastes? <laughs> I'm the 50th broker to contact you this week. But yeah, but here's the difference. Here's the difference. Yeah. And then beyond that, we're involved with sustainability, as you know. You know, we have a solar division. Somebody who heads that up for us has been in the business for about 15 years. He's the best that I've encountered. So that's been a growing business unit for us. And then we actually have a, a platform called Utility ROI that wraps everything I just mentioned up, right? So what it does is it modernizes and streamlines utility management. It gives decision makers, you know, buyers, controllers, anybody in the accounting and finance function, instant visibility into utility spend. So what we're doing on the procurement side, it really helps with invoice management, reporting, accounting, accruals. Um, there's an ESG component, environmental and social governance, uh, that really helps with compliance in different markets. You know, you could export your carbon emissions, carbon footprint. How do you um, export that? So the data is, it's pretty cool, actually. The platform has an API with online utility accounts, right? Okay. So, you know, we're in the Philly market, Pico is the utility. If you were a commercial user in Pico, we would have an API with the utility. We'd web scrape that data. And if it's something called an interval meter, we get interval reads very often from that. It pulled the data in, analyzes the peaks, the demand, consumption, anything somebody involved with energy looks at. And based on that data, we'll report on carbon emissions, right? Awesome. And then that data exports to Energy Star and all these other platforms people are using for sustainability tracking. And then another big component of that is um, something called measurement and verification. So if we're going in somewhere, we're installing a project, rather than us say, hey, you know, this lighting project is <laughs> gonna have a payback period of a year and you're gonna save this many kilowatt hours. We can actually prove that in real time through the software. That's so, awesome. So, like, they'll run their emissions, you run their usage through the API, and it'll be able to just see, okay, hey, this is where you're already be able to save. What is the biggest waster of energy? So, if a company comes to you for the first time, they, are, they obviously already have a problem. Sure. What is the problem that you solve, or what's the problem that you see occur the most often with these major companies? So, 
the biggest problem usually is if we're digging for pain, right? Which everybody yeah. in our team is is trained to do, especially in our industry. Typically, they got bad advice on a supply product. So going back to the procurement end, you know, a lot of brokers out there really try to sell this one size fits all product, just a fixed price, which is terrible advice for most large users out there. Yeah. So typically they've been locked into this product that makes no sense for their business, right? Hasn't been matched to their risk profile. They're using one part of it. Exactly. And they're leaving a lot of money on the table because there's programs out there. Another one, demand response, right? Demand response is this program where you curtail consumption during peak periods of the day, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, between 5 and 7 p.m., for instance, on the hottest day of the summer, the grid is super overburdened, right? And that incremental last demand of one kilowatt hour could cause a blackout. Because yeah. the way our grid is set up, there's finite generation. You bring an extra unit of load on, boom, system yeah, blacks it's out. Over. There's, there's nothing going on. Yeah, right? goodbye, everybody. So <laughs> Back to the Stone Age. What this program does is it incentivizes users to curtail by paying them cash. So the okay. grid will pay you as a large user to shut off between this hour and this hour, right? And by participating in that program, you not only get money from the grid, but you're reducing something called your peak, which you need to be on a specific product on for electricity to see the benefit on the supply side, right? So there's a lot of analysis that goes into this stuff. And some, I don't want to call them unscrupulous, just maybe there's some people who don't know as much, yeah. right? There's probably um, a lot of people that don't know. There's probably, there's there's probably most people that are going to listen out. to this. They're yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what's he on about? Yeah. <laughs> um, they could seriously jack up. Yeah. Jack up somebody's uh, procurement and hedging strategy. So that's what we do in a nutshell, really. That's awesome. That sounds like a lot. It sounds it's, like way more than <laughs> that meets we're the doing eye originally. The opposite of what uh, a good business book would tell you to do, which yeah. is focusing on too many things at once. But procurement's 90, 95% of our revenue, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's like that's an annuitized business. It, it keeps us growing, it funds expansion, it's what's enabling us to go into new markets. It's all about the procurement at the end of the day. Yeah, essentially, you're getting, by doing procurement, you're just getting investors in the long term. Yeah, basically. Yep. You find a client that likes the work that you do, they stay with you, and then they pay you up front or they pay you. I'm not sure how they pay you, but um, once that happens, you have it and you can build more. Exactly. Exactly. And it allows us to sell those ancillary services once we've served them on the procurement side, right? Because at that point, it's just we're handling their energy management. So why not venture into these other products and services? So now for us, the uh, really what we're trying to do is put the right people on the bus going back to the good to great analogy yeah, we talked about great. a couple of times, right? Level like five. Level five leadership. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find people who are smarter than me who could lead different parts of the company, these different business units, mm -hmm. right? Because everything we're doing right now is pretty centralized, right? It's pretty tight. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of control from the top. You know, obviously what we want to do is be able to empower people to make decisions on their own, right? And lead these business units. But we're we're relatively young company. We were structured three years ago when I joined and we've had a lot of growth since then, but we're finally at the point and it would have come a little bit sooner had it not been for COVID. We're finally at that point where we can just make the hires we need to make, right? Yeah. To, to grow strategically. And um, all of our growth has been organic, so we don't raise money. We're not taking on investors. Uh, so how you spend that next dollar is a lot more important, right? Yeah, it's There's huge. no infinite penny piggy bank. <laughs> yeah, not here at least. <laughs> no, but we uh, we don't really want to give up the control to yeah. grow. So. 
why did you want to get into energy? Uh, honest answer, dude. So, uh, <laughs> freshman year at Penn State, I had an interest in engineering. Okay. Took a couple engineering courses, realized immediately it wasn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My grades indicated a <laughs> similar sentiment. Right? Oh, you so. did so well. That yeah, yeah, like... yeah. I was like, oh, I'm too good for this now. Yeah, way too good for this. I, I just wasn't focused on it. I wasn't interested. Yeah. In it, you know what I mean? Like I took a couple classes in high school, like, you know, stuff everybody takes, but a couple AP courses that I was yeah. interested in, like physics and whatnot. And I was like, cool, I could, I could see myself doing this stuff. And then I, something changed, got to school and was like, eh, not feeling it. Yeah. You're like, do I want to do algebraic or do I want to do calculus? And you're like, eh, jeez, <laughs> uh, nah. <laughs> so, uh, I just spoke to my advisor and they were like, Hey, there's this, uh, kind of hybrid business engineering major you should take a look at and rest was history that's awesome that's and yeah. where'd you go i went to the school of hard knocks nick <laughs> yeah school of hard knocks hmm yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. ever hear of it yeah uh, but i've heard some interesting <laughs> things about your school <laughs> no, I, went, I went to penn state happy valley senior year was the year all the sandusky stuff popped off beautiful 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 time to go yeah that no, was it was <laughs> Awesome. But yeah, that was a super interesting time to be there, obviously. Yeah. When you see a, see a whole culture shift. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. A lot of defense. Not a, not a lot of good defense. <laughs> so many inappropriate jokes <laughs> running through my mind right now. We yeah. can't go there. Yeah. We're going to be politically correct, right? Yeah, we're going to be uh, moderate. Is that the name PC. of this podcast? A politically yeah, the PC, correct podcast? The PC hour. PC pod? Yeah. The PC pod. Where everything is PC and we offend no one. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, that, that was kind of how I got started in energy, you know. Just got into that major. And, uh, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and was used to driving by that Hess building on Route 9 through Central Jersey and collected Hess trucks as a young kid and was aimlessly kind of just applying for jobs and Deep down inside, I think I always wanted to, to work there since yeah. I entered the major. Um, part of it was just ignorance, not knowing many other <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> local uh, energy companies. What do you guys right? do besides selling Hostess products? <laughs> I can get a Twinkie here, right? The Dunkin' Coffee is way better in the Hess yeah. convenience stores, yeah. yeah. Um, you don't see a lot of Hess convenience stores anymore. They're gone. Exactly. It's sad. <laughs> it's quite sad. But uh, So, interviewed for Hess. Did not have the best GPI in my major by any means, but went to a bunch of networking events for all these energy companies, connected with some of the recruiters. You know, we talk about this often, but like the importance of establishing a network and just getting out there and, and doing really the easy work, yeah. I think, right? Um, that helped me a lot to get that first job. And, uh, you know, once I got into the industry, just grinded. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Grinding away endlessly. Yeah, I'm, I'm a nub gonna... now. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've been grinded away. <laughs> he started off as a structure. Yes. Now he's just a nub. But the nub <laughs> that he is, you can't scrape away. <laughs> Cannot. Cannot. We're, we're at the core now. But yeah, uh, yeah man. Yeah, so spent a, a little, about two years at Hess. And then it's funny you mentioned the, the gas stations no longer being around. So they sold off the energy marketing division, which was the part of the company that I worked for, and the retail gas stations to Speedway. So uh, the Hess branding took a hit a little bit, right? Yeah. And the writing was on the wall that the program I was in, I was in a uh, like a, a sales development program there. Writing was on the wall that that would be discontinued. 
So I took a, a job at another supplier, South Jersey Industries. That's where I kind of cut my teeth, was really out in the field, had applied a lot of what I learned on the supplier side of the business. And then went to a big French utility called Engie and then ended up at Green Crown a couple of years later. Awesome. Sounds like quite the journey. It was a journey. What was your least favorite part of that journey? Because everybody always asks you, oh, what was, the, what was it like? Was it remarkable? Did things happen? I want to know what sucked. I want to know what you got up in the morning where like, oh, I got to do this again. I got to eat this again. And I know I got to eat it, but I'm going to continue to do it anyway. I think the most difficult part about working for, like Enchi did $70 billion in revenue Damn. the last year I was there, right? Massive company. Yeah, huge. Um, and with that, you get a ton of resources, right? Like I felt confident marketing our products to some of the biggest users possible mm -hmm. right and it was great i mean we we served a lot of the fortune 100 it was you felt good yeah working there but at the same time a complete and utter lack of autonomy or control and you know i'm someone who came from kind of a more of an entrepreneurial background you know families entrepreneurs my grandfather came here super young started a business my dad's been a business owner his entire life um both of them absolute grinders so like i i grew up observing that and then all of a sudden i'm like you know the company man and i kind of knew it wasn't <laughs> yeah. a fit you fucking sold out <laughs> i sold out man uh i knew it wasn't going to be a fit in the long run was it honestly. the look at, did you know you were the fit when you had that look from your dad in his eyes <laughs> when, he, when he looked at you and he's like you corporate shill <laughs> it's like what you you sell uh light bulbs what do you do yeah, what do you do yeah you sell nothing. <laughs> I sell air pops. Yeah, you sell conductors. I sell air. <laughs> what are you conductor of? <laughs> what are you conducting? Uh, I that was probably a part of it. Who knows? If I uh, went to a psychologist and talked about it, maybe they'd get that out of me. But oh, it's uh, a good thing you're talking to me now. I, it's like back. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, we gonna, we gonna go. bring this it out is, right this now. Is why we're here, man. <laughs> I I think it was just more so. Um, I I kind of looked at the career trajectory at a lot of the energy suppliers and it just wasn't something that I was super into. You know what I mean? I, I knew what I wanted to do from the first moment I entered the business, which is be on the broker side. Yeah. Right. And it took a while for me to get the balls to make that move. Yeah. I'm glad I waited the amount of time I did because I mean, you just learn so much working for the big suppliers, right? Absolutely. You have exposure to huge clients and they already mentored by the best people in the business. Right. Yeah. And it's like classroom training, all that good stuff. Right. So I'm glad I didn't make the move sooner than I did, but it was kind of like serendipitous how it all happened. Um, I was in the process of starting a brokerage, leaving a supplier, starting a brokerage with one of my old bosses. He, it's long story short, stayed at the company. He was given this awesome promotion. I don't blame him at all for staying and abandoning our plan, but we had gone pretty far down the road, all the pro formas, business plans, LLC created, like everything was done. Yeah. And, and set up for us to make that move. So um, I asked my now partner, Paul, to grab a beer one day. Uh, he worked at one of the brokers that I managed on the supplier side. And I asked him to grab a beer because I knew we had started and sold a couple businesses and you know we had a good working relationship and all that good stuff. And I just wanted to meet with him for some advice. Yeah. And again, we just grabbed a beer, talked a bit. And I had learned that they were actually in the process of um, kind of removing one of their partners from the business. There was a legal dispute 
Uh, no bueno. So he deservingly was removed from the business. And when he heard about my plan and kind of how it fell through, he was like, why don't you just join you us? Just join you us. Know, piece of equity opened up, did it, had some sweat equity, um, some targets to hit, right? Some revenue growth targets that we did hit. So I got a little more of the company. And now I'm in the process of buying kind of my final options. So combination of sweat equity and buying in and all that good stuff. But it, it, it feels a lot better because I'm running the sales and operations now. I'm in complete control of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, that probably sounds so <laughs> type A, but <laughs> it, all good. Uh, it just kind of feels better <laughs> controlling your destiny yeah. in that sense. And it's just nice having the autonomy to say, hey, oh, yeah. today I think we should try introducing this new unit. And I have a couple partners lined up that we could work with and let's explore what it's like to work with these folks here and, you know, look at how much value we could bring to our customers if we bring in this vendor. And it's just been, uh, it's been really fun. Yeah. And with all that, I mean, you, you get to the point now where it's like this year, you, you bought a house, you had a kid, you're hitting the new milestones. It's like, you had to reach those milestones first. Sure. You had to prove it. You had to be like, okay, well, I can be here. I'm making this money. I can step out on my own. Oh, now that I've stepped out on my own, I have control now. I don't have to just answer to anybody all the time. Well, you still have people to answer to, but it's the less people you have to answer to, I feel the more freedom that you have, right? So Absolutely, man. And my, my partners in the beginning kind of took more of a um, mentor-mentee approach, right? It's like I wasn't working for them, but kind of felt like I was working yeah. for them. You know what I mean? Because I'm you are running you a business for the first time, yeah. you know? Um, but over time, you know, one's not involved at all in the business anymore. He's an investor in 30 total businesses. So he's more of a kind of a, the money if yeah. and when we need it, you know. And then uh, brilliant guy, by the way. Amazing. Has the ability to look at something and immediately come to the most perfect. Just sees things immediately. He's right? perfected I, I the There's equation. no way for me to describe yeah. um, how sharp he is. And my other partner, Paul. Again, great, great as a mentor, but has kind of stepped aside as well because he runs another business on the water side, our sister company. So now it's just me. And again, I have these two guys to bounce ideas off of and uh, all that good stuff. But at this point, they've kind of taught me how to run the company, which has been good. That's awesome. Yeah. And now it's you in control. You know, how do you, when you're the person that's you're leading the company, what did you have to do to become a leader? Were you always that type of person where you could just be in front of people, talk to people, or did you have to develop yourself into that? I don't know if anybody's inherently comfortable <laughs> yeah, ever <laughs> t t exposing like yourself, taking those things on head on, right? Yeah. So, like, there was there was a lot of trial by fire. Obviously, um, I've always felt like a leader, mm -hmm. but I don't know, man. Until you're thrown into the fire and have yeah, to you don't deal know. with shit, who the <laughs> hell knows, right? Yeah. It's like in every circumstance, every situation is so different. I mean, when I first came into Green Crown, um, things were messy. Yeah, very messy. I mean, I had to, I had to let four people go in the first month. Yeah, they hired a killer. They hired. They hired the trash man. Well, listen, I mean, it was, <laughs> that, that, and that was prescriptive advice, to be honest with you. Yeah. It was immediately obvious that there was a culture issue, bad culture issue. Um, which was resulting from the situation I alluded to earlier with the partner yeah. who was pushed out and yada, yada. So, so they were the leftovers of the partner. Yeah, man, they were, it's, it's, and when people talk about culture and how important it is to an organization and how toxic culture really, it, it's destructive. Yeah. It, it's true. It's absolutely yeah. true. I, I can attest to it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. I was in the um, storm. It's insane. But, you know, fortunately that kind of freed up some, 
cap space for us to be able to recruit some better people and four people that I brought on afterwards, not consecutively, but four total that are on our team now are people that I worked with on the supplier side. Really? Yeah. So you poached? I poached, baby. 100%. I poached. I waited I poached. until the non-solicit was up and just went yeah. to You were like, hey, it's been three years, right? Today at exactly 12.01 p.m. It's been three years, right? <laughs> um, we may have skirted around that a little yeah. bit. No, yeah. no, no, no. Not at all. Not I didn't hear all. any of that. Not you guys didn't hear any of that. <laughs> our, our first hire was one of uh, our supplier reps that we work with, who is an absolute beast. She's awesome. She runs our operations now. Uh, worked with her at Hess. Second was somebody who actually taught me very early on at South Jersey Industries how to sell. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. You get like all this technical education from the big suppliers. Then I went to a slightly smaller supplier and uh, didn't. Yeah, they were like, forget <laughs> all that. Didn't have any practical, right? It's like, yeah. cool. I had gone through meetings with this customer and that customer, whatever, but like never hit the streets. Yeah. You ever you seen were. Tommy Boy? Hell yeah. You were you would have been David Speed and <laughs> before and you were trying to become Tommy Boy. I just need Tommy. Yeah. That's it. So John was my Tommy. Um You were telling people like, yeah, the intricacies of the kilowatts <laughs> with the jewels uh, the power it produces. And John's like, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. They don't care. Yeah, they don't care about any of that. Tell me what care. we're saving. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But listen, the, some of the best advice I ever got in sales was Ask questions. Listen. Yeah. Don't overeducate. Yeah. It's very basic. Even for the most technical products, solutions, services, the moment you lose somebody, you're done so. You made somebody feel not okay. You yeah. made them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. They're like, right? wait, uh, if I buy your product, what, what does it do again? Yeah. You're like, well, let me tell you from uh, the point A when it comes off the truck to... <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you on a journey, <laughs> dude. If I could tell you how many times I've had clients, like new new business, right, new people that we're meeting with, tell us that their current broker is intentionally trying to confuse them, right? And there's there's probably no malintent there. It's like they probably just can't clearly articulate, yeah, what the value is, right? And especially with a market that's changing. Absolutely, there's it's, a lot of moving pieces, but like yeah. you can't walk into like a bakery and tell them about the intricacies of the market because they've got to order flour yeah. and they've got to, you know. <laughs> yeah, they have to bake. This isn't a priority. They rely yeah. on you to handle the complexity, yeah. right? So that was something I learned pretty early on and definitely a valuable lesson. Um, and, you know, they say you're a combination of the five people you spend the most time with, right? So, like, professionally, I was always really good about picking mentors yeah. and, like, being intentional with it, right? Asking. Not some directly, actually. Can you yeah. can you mentor me? Yeah, right? can you mentor me? Can you help? And others indirectly. That relationship just organically developed, and it's always give and take, right? Um, but I think that stuff's super important. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, be, having a mentor is for anything that you're doing. Just having somebody who's already further along than you sure. that knows what you're going through and knows what the next steps are. It's like that's that's more than invaluable because they know where to go. And if you just talk to them, like. 10 out of 10 times, they're going to say, hey, go here. Rarely does somebody who, if you're actively, if you're genuinely interested and you want to get better, there are people out there in every single form of life that can help you get there. But you just have to reach out. You just have to ask. You have to speak. Why are people uncomfortable doing so? So let's let's take your situation right now, right? Mm -hmm. So do you have a mentor no. in real estate? Uh, yeah, but no. 
Yes, no. yes, but no. Okay. I don't have an official mentor. I have people that I work with. I have an uncle that's been in the game for a long time, and we catch up uh, once a month for a breakfast. But cool. there's nobody that I actively. Is it actually every month? Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. I love, I, love, I love like <laughs> yeah, yeah. planned shit. Yeah, it's every time. month. That's we'll, so cool. we'll get breakfast. It's about awesome. an hour, hour and a half. But uh, yeah, there's nobody that I directly go to every day. And I mean, we have a full. What's nice about being on a real estate team is that everybody's kind of the mentor. Sure. If you have a question, it goes out to the team, and then they all go, oh, it's X, it's Y, it's Z, and now you have the answers. You don't have to wait for that one guy or that one woman to respond to you. You just go, hey, this is what I'm working with right now. Uh, who else has done this before? And then people just chime in instantly. Because when you're on a team that's like very successful and like I'm part of a, the Keller Williams Westchester, the Gary Mercer team, noise. <laughs> but but uh, they're one of the top in Chester County. So it's to, to deal with them and to, to work with them. Uh, they did, I think it was $250 million in sales last year in revenue. Wow. So it's like... And a lot of those people are the top that's achievers. A team of how many? I think we're about uh, maybe like fifteen now. Okay. They hired. I was part of a six new hires from last year. Gotcha. And before that, I was even smaller. But um, now that we're all there, it's like it's it's crazy to see because they're they sold six hundred and thirty seven homes this past year, and now they're going for seven hundred and fifty for next year. That's Damn. the goal. That's the goal. So really, each employee is carrying about an unemployed team member is carrying. Like twenty ish mil. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. It's real estate. Real estate's awesome. <laughs> yeah, real estate's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, just spend five hundred dollars, go to your course, become a realtor. Even if you're doing it part time, it's like why would you not? And then grind for yeah, endlessly. Endlessly. <laughs> endlessly. There's no because yeah. the uh, the people that are making that money, they're not stopping grinding. They even have assistants that grind for them and they 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 still grind just as hard. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh you know what's interesting? Like <clears throat> I feel like most entrepreneurs especially people who get into real estate do so so they don't have to work in a business yeah so they could work on a business yeah. but the reality is you're always going to do both yes right and if you're not doing both what's the point is that even yeah. fun and you don't have to like the best part about real estate is you don't have to answer to anybody right like yeah i have to answer my team if like i'm not hitting like numbers or that type of stuff but it's not like they're i'm not going in every day like nine to five and they're coming to me going nick did you sell a house today <laughs> i'm like no i didn't I'm like well why not how many cold calls did you <laughs> yeah make, what did you do today to... <laughs> but at the same time it's those are the things that you should be working on for yourself and the best part about being part of your own company and being in real estate or, or being in any of this is it's on your time you're going to make the money that you want or you're not going to make the money that you want and it's all on you you have a team, they do uh, marketing, they do resources, they do uh, market data, they have everything. But it's up to you at the end of the day to go, all right, well, what part of the team am I? You know, it's like, a, I played football, so it's like, if what position do you want to be in? Sure. Do you want to be the quarterback? Do you want to be, you know, wide receiver? Do you want to be a lineman? What do you want to do? And it's like, once you decide where you fit in that team, then you just go. There's no thinking after that. Sports analogies never quit. No. Seriously. Yeah. They're, so Absolutely. The, I love hiring athletes. Yeah. Because they know. I, I wasn't a good athlete. Yeah. That's the ironic part. Like, I, I really wasn't, <laughs> right? I did a lot of solo sports. Yeah. Taekwondo, track, whatever. Barely comp competition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I admit it. Yeah. But that team mentality is... It, it's very apparent who has played a team sport oh, and yeah. who has not played a team sport. And is actually one of the top interview questions... 
I ask on like a phone interview before meeting somebody in person. You know yeah. what I mean? Not to sound cheesy, but like asking about a scenario where you've learned something from team sports. In fact, one of the companies I used to work for, the CEO was a former Eagles player. And for the intern program, would intentionally only hire college athletes, right? So he's the one who inspired me to kind yeah. of embrace that approach with hiring because it's it's almost foolproof. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it sounds, I, somebody will probably cancel me for saying that, right? It's like, <laughs> well, what if I'm not athletic? Yeah, what if I'm not athletic? What if I've never done Disclaimer, these things? I'm not athletic. Okay. Yeah. Disclaimer. Uh, not that definitely athletic. Definitely not. I'm yeah. not yeah, you're strong. Nick's you getting me. Stuff. Nick's getting me strong. Yeah, um, we'll get you there. With the five thirty workouts, but <laughs> yeah, man, that that mentality is so 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 valuable. It's awesome. Yeah, because I think it's just coming from like a sports background in general. It's like you you learn to not only lean on the people around you, but you also learn how to pick them up. Yeah. So my my job at any any level of sport that I was at, uh, whether it was middle school, high school, college, every single level was just helping out other people. It's like, yeah, you can be selfish and like you can look at your numbers and you can look at all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you're just how like I would joke around all practices. I knew it helped people get through practice, even if it was at the cost where I had to do some extra sprints <laughs> at the end because I was too much of a jackass. It was still worth it to me because it was like, all right, well, at least I made everybody else's day easier. I'll go eat the shit now. Sure. But this is now like everybody else is good. Um, so coming from a sports background, I think is super important, especially like now. Going to a real estate team is like, okay, well, I I have expectations, right? It's like my expectations of what a team looks like. And the difficulty is like if you have a lot of people that don't haven't came from a team or don't like like you're saying that sports background, it's a, it's a much difficult it's a bigger difficulty to connect. Because I'm going, okay, well, if you if you haven't faced the adversity in this way, how do I communicate how to get past the adversity in this way? And I think as a coach or as a mentor or as anything, what you're really doing is you're just teaching people how to deal with the adversity that's about to come. So it's like if you have a mentor, they're saying like, hey, do X, Y, and Z. Here's what you want to do for sales. Here's what you want to do for procurement. Here's what you want to do to help out other people. But at the end of the day, all they're really telling you is to how to face that adversity that you're inevitably going to face. Sure. And it can't be prescriptive. No, right? it's not like at all. It's another sports analogy, coaching, right? Yeah. Good coaches should not be forcing you to think a certain way, yeah, to act a certain way, right? It's all, I like trial by fire. I'm a big fan of it. Mm -hmm. um, for our most recent hire, who we actually hired from Penn State, which I was really excited about, right? Same program that I came out of. I'm very, I'm being very deliberate in how I'm trying not to be again, super prescriptive with certain things. I'm trying to have them observe as much as possible, right? Be part of transactions, yeah. um, be part of pitches, uh, get the technical stuff, right? But at the same time, you know, you can tell somebody to make 100 cold calls a day and they'll do it, yeah. right? Um, you can tell somebody to go to 50 networking events a year and they'll do it. You can tell somebody to ask for 50 referrals. You can like, you could do all this stuff, but if you're a competitor, and you're on the right team and you have the right support and you have the right resources and you have a goal, right? Goals are super important, obviously, yeah. right? And having, having a goal system that actually is enforced, right? Because I've been in organizations where um, I, I've always been a hard worker. I've had peers who are not, right? The team has a goal. Yeah. We hit team goal despite some people underperforming and not very clearly not making their best effort. Without it's disappointing doubt. to everybody and yeah. it impacts everybody. And if you're at an organization where it's structured the right way, everybody has skin in the game, right? So 
Um, but for me, it's really important to, to not be super anal when it comes to metrics for sales, especially, yeah. and just empower people, give them the resources to perform. And listen, if you don't perform, we're going to know in 90 to 180 days <laughs> yeah, we'll that know. you're not a fit. Yeah. And maybe there's another seat on the bus for you. Yeah. You're probably the right person on the bus if you're there, right? I would hope. <laughs> I think that's the hard part for a lot of companies and it just teams and, and anybody in general is you you might have the right person. They just might be the, the complete wrong yeah. wrong phase of, of the company and or the team. And it's like, okay, well, it's like to go back to the sports analogy of football, you might have somebody that thinks they're a quarterback, but they might be the best linebacker that could be on the field possibly. And they're just going, well, I want to throw the ball. And it's like, okay, well, but have you seen what your other talents are? <laughs> like, have you seen like how f- much further you can go if you do this? And I guess uh, the difficulty is for a part of that, that person's going to settle if they're not being the quarterback, but they may find a new way. They might find out a way to put that energy into being a linebacker. And if they don't want to, what happens? They leave. They leave, they you, fail, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's why having that support system and somebody who has the foresight to tell you what you are good at, basically taking criticism constructively yeah. is super important. Uh, being able to provide criticism is equally as important, right? I feel like a lot of people struggle with that nowadays, though. Yeah, without I a doubt. I obviously, like, and this isn't, I'm not opining on, like, softness or any of that stuff, because I think everybody's generally on the same page, whether you lean left or right or whatever. We're pretty aware of how thick or or really thin people's skin is nowadays. So you have to be super careful. But like criticism is so important. Yeah, it's needed. I mean, like, how do you know that you (laughs) suck at something if no one could tell you you suck at it? And as somebody like, it's weird because a lot of people, as soon as you tell them that they, they suck at something, and you don't even, normally you don't tell them that they suck. You just go, hey, like, Things aren't working out the way that we thought they were. How can we readjust? And they're like, "Well, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, I don't." It's like that that inner voice takes over. It's like, "Oh, well, I was I was doing the thing that you said I needed to do, and I'm just, am I not doing it to your standard? Or I was doing it to my standard." And it's a lot of it just comes down to miscommunication sometimes. Yeah, and that's the difficulty is miscommunication versus an actual problem. Have you ever encountered a situation where you're speaking with someone and, and giving them feedback, right? It could be professional, sports, whatever, friendships, right? Yeah, We've had a lot of these conversations. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, listen, sometimes you got to tell your boys how it is. Yeah. Where you could just sense how, <laughs> you could sense an obvious lack of self-awareness in someone. Yes. You know, it's, it's got, it's like so awkward yeah. sometimes, you know what I mean? And like, some, it, I've had situations where I've had to address something and it, to me, it's a, a perceived lack of self-awareness. And it's so bad that I'm like, is it me? Yeah, am I Who's doing jacked this? Up? Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. You know? And I've taken like all those disc profiles, those personality assessments, professional workplace, whatever. And I think I've ranked pretty high usually on self-awareness. And there's, I definitely have a ton of weaknesses like everybody else, right? But yeah, um, I've personally always kind of been fueled by criticism, like the chip on your shoulder type of approach, right? And I don't know what it stems back to. I have no idea. Most people generally want to improve, right? In life in general, they're, they're, you know, we talked about being masochistic earlier, waking up early (laughs) and doing all this crazy shit, but. You have to want to improve to do that. I don't know if it's like experiences 
um, being around people who have shown you what it's like to to work hard and succeed. Like I talked about my grandfather and my dad before, you know, those are those are my heroes. Like my dad worked so much growing up and built a great business up and and quite honestly gave us a great life. Yeah. Didn't get to see him a ton as a as a young kid because he was <clears throat> he was working a lot, but like um is just did amazing things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um so anyways, it's I lost my train of thought. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. <laughs> How do you validate too the word? Over here. Yeah, you're like, ah. No, ah. <laughs> yeah. The biggest thing about being being part of a group where people don't know that they're self-aware is very difficult because I think it's way more apparent when it's when it's more people than just one and it's just two people. So if it's just two people, it's very it's like very intimate and you can kind of you can work around that awkwardness, but as soon as it's like three four, five people, and they're all paying attention to that one person, it becomes like super apparent. And it's almost like, hey, the, should one of us just say it? But nobody does. And that's kind of the difficulty for a lot of people is that they don't they don't have the relationships in their lives where they can just say, hey, you're fucking up. Even if they're super close to them, and I think the more close you are to somebody, the harder it is to say, hey, you're fucking up. It's taboo. Yeah. It's taboo to, be, to criticize. It's taboo, yeah. right? I mean... I'm Italian. Italians never say what they think. Yeah. I don't care what anybody tells you. Never trust <laughs> <Yeah>. an Italian. <laughs> yeah, ever. <laughs> ever. No, I, I think it's like culturally, I, at least from what I've seen in my family, right? It's like taboo to speak about problems. It's, uh, you just don't do it. Yeah. If something's bothering you, you really don't bring it up. Yeah. You know, it's you a whole focus mentality. on the positive and like when you're behind closed doors, then you could talk about issues, but yeah. you don't generally make that available for public consumption you yeah. know what i mean it's like what the heck so so i've challenged that paradigm over the past couple of years and i think pissed off certain members of my family Without to be honest with you but it's out of love obviously yeah. you know and everybody's got their issues but uh you know we talked about an experience that i had recently with a family member where things were degrading quickly and our relationship was really awesome and took a turn Things ended up in a not so great place, right? Paraphrasing big time here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I came to learn that this person was struggling with some some issues, yeah. some mental health issues. Bigger demons. Bigger demons, right? So I, I think that, like, the fact that you don't always know what's going on with people makes it very challenging to address some issues head on sometimes. Yeah. Right? And I think that being cautious about that is super important and sometimes people just don't want to share that information with you which i completely understand listen i i was incredibly close with this person and just learned recently about some of their demons yeah i i had no idea i truly had i I suspected things i knew a little bit but the extent of it i I had no clue yeah that's like the difficulty is is you're you don't know how to be empathetic to somebody if you don't know the issues right so you can be empathetic but it's to a point you still have to be you it's like you can't completely dissolve yourself for somebody else unless they tell you the specifics. Right. And it's perceived as condescending if yeah. you try to dig for them, right? And like conversely, if somebody's doing it to you, obviously you're going to get a little bit defensive. Yeah. So it, it makes that whole like interaction we were talking about tougher, like giving direct feedback, right? And it's like, what's the best way to do it? For me, at least, the best way has always been... Be an asshole. Yeah, just be a complete <laughs> dick and just shit on that person. <laughs> No, no, not at all. It's uh, it's always 
if I ever have to give somebody feedback or have to give somebody criticism, I always, always open up the door first to criticize myself, to show them that, hey, I'm about to go here. This is uh, things that have happened in my life. These are things that I'm struggling with. You know, especially if, if I'm going to give somebody criticism on something, I'm going to show them first how I've dealt with that, how I it might be currently dealing with that, how I like even in that conversation might be dealing with that. But I think the biggest thing for me is like, it's not, you're trying to be empathetic in the sense where you're staging, you know, you're going, Hey, this is the stage we're going to play on. This is the things we're going to talk about. And the empathy really just comes back after you share is you give the room to listen. Do you think that it's absolutely necessary for you to introduce that vulnerability to get somebody comfortable enough to share with you? Without a doubt. Okay. So there's, there's no... I will say I, th- I feel the same way, but I didn't know if that was just a kind of like a way to. I think in our culture, feel comfortable. Yeah, you know? I mean, it makes people feel comfortable because you're showing that you can be vulnerable. Now, you can't blindside somebody with it. You have to. These these are things you have to like work into. It's different when you're in a business because you can't just you can't <laughs> just rules. Yeah, there's rules. You can't just there's HR. Yeah, but at the same uh, time, is even without that, is going. You know, let's say somebody's struggling with their sales. You might go up to that person and just be like, hey instead of lecturing them or being like, Hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z. You need to hit these numbers. You just go up to them and be like, Hey, you know, can we talk for a minute? I just want to talk to you about some of the things that I've noticed and that I've struggled with currently like before. And here's how I work through them. Because at the end of the day, you're not pissed off at that person because they're not producing. You just want them to produce. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, for, for me, the way I think about it is I want this person to be as successful as possible yeah. for themselves and to preserve their status with the company, obviously, yeah. that's super important, right? But above anything, it's I want this person to make the most money they've ever made next year. Yeah. Right? That's number one, the number one driving force. And then there's leaders that I've met, worked for, been around that have a very selfish mindset Without and generally that. trying to give feedback. Yeah. When operating with that philosophy is it's just not going to work dude <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrible, terrible. <laughs> it's awful <laughs> it's awful and again i've worked with a decent amount of those people right um not many of them last a long time yeah not many of them have successful teams and then you have the ego leaders oh yeah right what level is that that's level zero it's pretty low <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the lowest low. <laughs> yeah. pretty low so one thing that I'm trying to work on within Green Crown is figuring out a way to, like I said earlier, empower everybody to really be driving their own growth rather than rely too much on company resources. Because right now there is a lot of handholding, right? Yeah. There's a lot of control from the top. I think that that's a little contradictory to the whole level five leadership kind of empowering people. Listen, you give somebody really smart the capital and the back office to grow there sh- it should be unlimited opportunity yeah right for the right realistically person. um and it's, i was just reminded of this so this is actually the 20 year anniversary of enron going bankrupt yeah, no you've probably not. seen it in the news yeah, where's been, martha like, stewart over my energy news feeds <laughs> yeah. right and uh that was their operating philosophy too it's like let's find the smartest people smartest people in the room right mm-hmm. the documentary book whatever Let's find the smartest people, give them capital, give them an awesome back office, 
and let them create new markets. Yeah. And that's what they did. Dude, my business would not exist right now if it wasn't for energy trading. Yeah. And those brilliant people created commodity trading, energy trading. It would not exist today if it wasn't for Ken Lay and Jeff Skilling and Andy Fastow and all these, you know, guys who were, you know, one's dead. Yeah. <laughs> the other two are, are not in a great place right now. But yeah. Um, there were brilliant people that worked at that company. It was just a lot of uh, <laughs> some unethical decision making. Yeah, along too much the way. freedom. Yeah. <laughs> Let's call that. Well, listen, they they operated within the gray area. Everything that they did, like destroying the California power market, yeah, it was kind of illegal. But they were so smart that they just circumvented the rules and found a way to completely crush an entire. <laughs> state's utility yeah, they're like power prices we're gonna change this entire state we're gonna do it from the ground up we're gonna make you pay like nine thousand times more to yeah. turn your lights on today because we can yeah anyways there is a proven model and just putting the right people on the bus right but to do that you need to be willing to relinquish a lot of control yeah which is really tough for a lot of people to do well, i think it's like a, in, in the beginning I'll use the analogy of teaching somebody how to ride their bike, right? Like when you're, when you first teach somebody how to ride the bike, like you know how to ride a bike. So you're saying, Hey, do X, Y, and Z, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. But ultimately what they're going to do is they're going to figure it out for themselves while they're on the bike. But without you providing the bike, without you providing the initial instructions on how to even start or how even to think about riding the bike, they may not even know. They might just look at the bike and be like, ah, ah let me see you do it. Because a lot of the times when you're trying to bring somebody new into an industry, and even if they know a lot about the industry, they don't know a lot about your industry. Like they might be under, because to, to use this as an example, it's like they, they might have been, they may have been a CFO at another company and they're coming over to you to do talent acquisitions just because they were a good fit over there. It's like, okay, well, I've never done this, but I know I can do these five other things. So a lot of that control comes from, you know how you want the bike to be ridden. And now you're trying to convey that to somebody else and they're going, well, I don't know even how to do this yet. So a lot of like the control from the top is like you in the beginning, you kind of have to have a little bit of control because you have to set the stage of, well, this is my company. This is the culture. This is what I want. And then if they can work in the bounds of that and learn how to ride that bike, then you've gained something new. But if they're not willing to learn the culture or ride the bike, it's like, all right, well, where do we go from here? Yeah. I think it's super difficult trying to time it. Yeah. Right. And it's like it's like timing an investment. Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no perfect. Time. Yeah. There's no perfect time. You can't dollar cost average people though. That's yeah. the unfortunate piece, right? But like to your yeah. point, it's like yeah, spend some time in a in you know introductory period, mm -hmm. intro role, learn things, and then you got to set people free. Of course, you yeah. know what I mean. And I was fortunate to have managers very early on that were good about throwing me to the fire, you yeah. know? Uh, it was incredibly frustrating at the time, but ended up being invaluable. I distinctly remember having a conversation one time with one of my managers at SJI. It was like my first deal, a year in a production role. And I hit goal and everything was great. But I was like, dude, I am incredibly stressed out. Honestly, yeah. like I'm, I'm just stressed. Like I'm thinking about work all the time. <laughs> You're gonna love this response. He was like, good <laughs> which i was talking to jo i worked for jocko yeah, yeah he yeah. was jocko um, yeah he was like good that means you care yeah 
probably not the most 2021 response yeah to that but i if anything it was kind of like enlightening and then you learn over time to kind of reduce the pressure on yourself right you prove to yourself that you can do it start doing the right things it still holds up i mean in anything it's if you're stressed about how you're performing that means you still give a shit sure it means you still care about where you're going so just i think that's something that's going to always hold up for most people the only reason they get anxious or they get worried or they get upset is because it's it's a perception of how they're doing and when they don't think they're living up to the standards that have been met then that doubt that anxiety that cripple that 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 other voice in your head that goes like, ah, oh, well, what if, are we in the right spot? It's like you just have to remind yourself that anybody who came before you who's doing that same thing went through the same steps. It's like nobody, even the people that are at the top of their game, they still struggle with doubt. They still struggle with anxiety. It's not like it just disappears, but you learn how to manage it. You learn how to control it. And as you gain experience through a company or any endeavor for that matter, that's how you build that resilience. It's never that first week when you you first join the job. It's an orientation. You're like, all right, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to kill it. We're going to be great. It's going to be awesome, Listen, guys. I'm going to throw on some Gary Vaynerchuk. It's super <laughs> yeah. inspired. Yeah. That's <laughs> all it takes, right? Listen yeah. to a few podcasts. Listen to a few podcasts. Listen to a few Instagram posts. You're fine. Yeah. You'll get it. But at the same time, is if you have, you just have to have the confidence in yourself. And the confidence in yourself is really just the confidence to unlearn. It's to unlearn and to relearn. Because if you can do that at any company and you can unwire yourself and rewire yourself to fit their needs, you're automatically an asset. Sure. And that comes along with that self-awareness, you know, yeah. when you need to do that, right? Yeah. So many people are willing to. Yeah. Which makes no sense to me. <laughs> it's like, I, it's like hey, I feel this way every day when I wake up. And you go, okay, well, have you changed anything? <laughs> no. Oh, okay, well, uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> And they go, I don't Continue know. Continue to suffer. Yeah. And they wake up the next day, like, I feel the same way again. It's like, okay, well, uh, I have more advice for you. And it kind of <laughs> goes, goes something like this. Um, what did you change? And it's, that's the problem for a lot of people is they might feel the same thing every day. And they'll just, instead of changing anything within their life, whether they're eating better, whether they're getting better at anything, they'll just continue. And they won't address it. And then they'll be like, yeah, but it's, it's complacency, but at the same time, it's an, in, it's a, it's an inability to grow. It's an inability, inability to change. And a lot of that comes from that comfortability, complacency, that fear of changing. And I, I talked to this with a friend the other day, they're going through a lot of personal pain and that personal pain becomes the norm. So to actually break away from feeling pain every day you're making yourself uncomfortable. And you, it's, it's uncomfortable to feel happy if you felt shitty for so long. And the hard part about that is the way that our brains are wired is if you don't make yourself happy, if you don't push yourself into positions to be happy, your brain is wired to continually go through that loop to be unhappy. Sure, it's neuroplasticity, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, one, it's, it's neuroplasticity 101. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I like it. <laughs> Delicious. Let's talk about dopamine and serotonin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk about how we're all fucked. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, yep, phones are killing us. What yeah. else? Uh, screens, blue light, blue uh, light radiation, pornography. Microwaves. Yeah, porn. That's a bit of a taboo subject, <laughs> I think, for most. 
Yeah. Right? Right, guys? Right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> right, gals? Get, yeah, get your hands out of your pants. Yeah, come on now. This is a Christian come podcast. Come on now. We're just... <laughs> <laughs> Can't even say that word yeah. on here. You said poor what? <laughs> I've noticed that the longer I've tried to abstain from things... This is not a Christian podcast. So <laughs> Not at all. Abstinence, no. Um, the longer I've tried to do less things that are very clearly hijacking my reward system Yeah. and trying to be somewhat aware of it, right? And, you know, this goes to something simple. Putting the time limit on Instagram, yeah. Facebook, all social media. I don't have a Twitter. If I had a Twitter, dude, Ugh. I'd be on that shit all day. I'm positive, right? Yeah, um, easily. And when I first started doing exercises to optimize time management, that was the first thing I did. So let, let me tell you about something that I did recently that I think you might yeah. like, right? Have you heard of E-Myth? Uh, no, I have not. All right. So they have management training, time management training, right? Is it a company what? or is this a it's a, it's a company. I mean, okay. they, they sell books, right? So yeah. like, I think their time management they book, a publishing like company? four or five co uh, million copies have been sold, yeah. right? They're, they're, it's pretty good shit, honestly. Um, I skipped the book <laughs> and, I, and I went straight it's, to the worksheet. It's so good that you can skip the book and go it's right so to the worksheet. You don't even need it. Yeah. Just, knowing it exists is comforting. Yeah, just know there's a resource uh, that comes with the book. That's that's what actually matters. My my partner, Paul, gave me the skinny. All right. He gave me the worksheets and I yeah. filled them out. There was a lot of resistance initially. Oh, yeah. I was like, dude, I'm not. Because really what it entails is you recording every single thing you do from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And I mean everything dude yeah who the hell wants to do that yeah who wants to look me? back at their life like and be like walk around with a freaking clipboard all day i beat off seven times today <laughs> yeah that's this is enlightening <laughs> shit yeah huh? what's happening i absolutely recommend and again i had a lot of resistance i recommend doing it and there's obviously way more to the process this, yeah. this isn't a time management podcast so i won't destroy people with boring information right now but you would be shocked how many times you're looking at your phone? Oh yeah. How many times you're getting distracted unintentionally? Obviously. Easily. Um, how many times you're multitasking when you shouldn't be? When you should focus? Again, going back to the eighty twenty philosophy, you know, carving out that time to focus on the important activity that generates results. It's so easy to get distracted. You know, we talked about this Without recently. Where like, if you're in any customer facing role, account management could be virtually all of your job, if you let yeah. it be, right? Servicing your relationships, your accounts, making sure everything's okay. But if you're spending the majority of your time in account management, you're spending how much on new business development? Yeah, none. None. Yeah, none at all. None. So unless you, with intention, block off time to focus. And, and the E-Myth you know, program is not just about blocking time. It's yeah. a small piece of it, right? But Time blocking is huge. It's huge, dude. Just it's to just to say, huge. hey, at two o'clock I'm gonna do this. Yep. And then you do that thing at two o'clock, and then you're like, all right, well now it's three o'clock. <laughs> what's my what's my time say? What do I do now? Three o'clock to three o five. Shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Poop. Poop. Oh, it took six minutes. My whole day's <laughs> damn. <ruined>. Yeah. No. <laughs> I've derailed my entire month. Yeah, I can't adjust. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you get it. I mean, it was it was very enlightening. You know. I cannot express how much I learned about my phone habits just from doing that. Oh, yeah. I think that I was probably taking a phone break every... I mean, obviously, you're on calls 
pitching, whatever, speaking with customers, uh, vendors, the team, I'd be focused for those. But then time in between, like email, air quotes, email time. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't even, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say how often I check my phone, right? Oh, yeah. And just emails in general, the amount of time I felt the need to look at email during the, now I check email three times a day. Yeah. I try to at least, right? Unless like somebody calls me and says, you need to look at this dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I, this mind. is urgent. Right? But <laughs> I mean, people don't need to be typically, unless I understand there's nuances or specific roles where obviously you need to be looking at stuff. Um, there's really no need to be checking your email and being distracted by it even more than in most jobs once, twice a day. Yeah. I would argue. Am I wrong? Not at all. Even in real estate. I, I, I look at my email a lot and I'm like, ah, why, why am I doing this? And when I look at my email before I'll pull up a response, I'll hit reply and then I'll pull up my phone. I'll hit reply on the email and then I'll pull up my phone and be like, all right. And then I'll read it. I'll read what the person said and then I'll look at my phone again and then I'll, I'll read it again. And then I'll be like, all right, I should probably reply. I'll do the work now. It's like, uh, we talked about this a little bit this morning at lifting, but the distraction is huge, man. It's just a, it's this difficulty of you just don't want to do what you have to do in those moments because there's so much other cool shit to do. I think this is like the first time in human <laughs> history where there's just there's so much cool shit to do all the time that when you're not doing the stuff that's like makes you super excited, and that could be even like eating a donut, uh, watching TV, playing video games, you know, going for a hike. It's like when you're not doing those things, you always feel like you're letting yourself down. And it's this disgusting, absolutely disgusting cycle that you go through every day that because those things reinforce it. When you're going to read your email and you and you look at your phone or you hop on a game or you just you just scroll through Instagram just to see something funny, all you're really doing is taking away from your power. You're going, hey, I have 100% energy when I start out the day and now my phone has depleted 50% of it and I'm only three hours into my day because you've allowed it to. And it's not just phone. It could be reading. I mean, before phones, people had the newspaper. They had uh, they were reading books. But it's you know now we have this access to everything, everything. At the, the tip of your fingers, we go, okay, well, why shouldn't I be looking at everything? Which is the other other side of the argument. It's go, okay, well, why shouldn't we be looking at everything? Listen, access to information is not a bad thing, right? Well, not at all, dude. I could not every aspect of my job, but I could do a lot of <laughs> my job just with this, you know, six inch device. Yeah. No, I'm not talking about my penis. Yeah. He's um, <laughs> not a porn star, <laughs> but for real, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Right. But at the same time, we're human beings and we love abusing the shit out of everything. That's good. And oh, it's yeah. only natural, but I wish, I wish that I had realized earlier, you know, we're, we're 30, 30, you're 30, right? I'm 31. 31 probably sound like an old geezer right now yeah jeez let me get out of my uh, thermometer i need to take my pills this morning <laughs> i think for me it was lucy coming lucy's my daughter she's nine months old to realize how much time i was wasting oh yeah on my cell phone right because now it's like wake up work out work right and then i have these few precious hours at night with my wife and my daughter mm -hmm. and that's all i want to do yeah it's it 
I don't like, know, man. That, like that sounds a good distraction event, to me. You like, cool, let me go and like, you know, get hammered and have great food and whatever. This sounds sick. And now it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do any, any of that. You know? I think the difficulty is is that they're not distractions. They're priorities. Sure. You know, it's like a, a lot of it just comes down to labeling, right? It's like, where do we invest our time? And if we're investing our time, especially when you have your kid, I mean, I can't even imagine. I'm not that stage yet, so it's a lot of it's just me just speaking on experience of other people who have had kids. But when I see people have kids, it changes everything because now they're they're not just worried about themselves anymore. That selfish need to please yourself constantly kind of goes away because now you have this entity that's in your life that if you don't pay attention to it, it can most likely die. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be that dire, but it's, it can most likely fuck itself up pretty badly if you're just not paying attention to it. So when you're when you have that kid that comes along the way and you know you already had bad habits with your phone, it's like, okay, well I don't want to carry these bad habits in front of my kid. I don't want to carry these bad habits into work. I don't want to carry these bad habits anywhere else. So I think for you specifically, it's you had to readjust you had a forced readjustment. Where some people have that ability to do it beforehand. It's like a, it's like when you face a traumatic event. Some people come out of a traumatic event and they completely change their life trajectory only because they went through that traumatic event. Where other people can just learn from other people's events and take that as wisdom and go, okay, well, I'm just not going to step on this landmine because that exploded pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, at least, that's that's been the big the big lesson learner is that if you can learn from other people and not have to worry about those little distractions here and there, and you learn how other people have already distracted themselves, you're just gaining knowledge. That's what growth is to me, is you're just learning from other people so you don't fall into the same traps. Right, and to learn you need to share. Yeah. Right, it's a big part of it. That's another thing I realized, I think a little bit late. Yeah. Not late, I mean, I've I've always been, I think, gregarious and, and just like loved connecting with people, but maybe this goes back to that whole like Italian whatever desire to not share issues. I was never really vulnerable or comfortable oh, yeah. sharing real shit until a couple of years ago, dude. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind it's of strange to upon. think about now. Like I love doing it now. Yeah. I love unloading shit on people now. Yeah. Right. Because I've learned that it strengthens bonds and relationships and people mm-hmm. feel more comfortable. And I mean, it's the right thing to do as a human being. Right. Back to what you said earlier, you know, trying to have a substantive conversation with somebody and help them is impossible if they don't perceive that you're doesn't have to be struggling with something, but like dealing with shit yeah. either. You know, how can you trust somebody if you're on two completely different playing fields? Exactly. And I think that's like for me, that's that's always been the exact thing to, to start out with people is if you can just create the field and it doesn't have to be your field, you're just creating a field. You're trying to meet them on their terms yeah. and go, hey, you know, I'm from Garnet Valley. You're from Jersey. Where Where is the field that we can both meet on where we can understand where each other are coming from just based off the culture differences of being in the towns that we grew up in already? And once you can do that for other people effortlessly, then you you know, you no longer have that friction. For a lot of people that I meet for the first time or if we have a deeper conversation, I just put everything out there. And it's not me gloating. It's not me trying to fish out who they are. I'm just setting the stage of the people that I want to be around. I go, hey, this is the content that I share. This is who I am. This is what I do. If you don't like this, then it's going to be really difficult for you to have a conversation with me because I don't want to hear how the weather Hmm. is. 
<laughs> I don't care how. Nick loves small talk. Yeah. Loves it. If there's one thing that I can't stand, <laughs> it's it's small talk. Because small talk is that. It has it is it, there's no value to it. Yeah. The value is I've exchanged words, I'm not fully present and I'm going to say nothing of substance because I'm afraid to show myself to the other person. Right. Whereas if everybody just had this ability to just be themselves and be themselves, I mean, just whoever you are specifically, share that to the world. And if you can do that in front of anybody, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you show yourself? It's like what most people put on a face when they go to an interview. When I went to the interview for Keller Williams, granted, I already kind of had a foot in the door. So I'll give that caveat. But when I went to the interview, I talk how I, exactly how I'm talking now. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no differences. It's because I believe in myself enough as a person that if I go into any room, I could talk to a billionaire. I could talk to the the poorest person on earth. I'm going to talk to them the same exact way. And there shouldn't be uh, a game face. There shouldn't be a changing for who your audience is. I understand there sometimes needs to be, but you develop your audience. It's not the other way around. Your audience doesn't develop you. I think that a lot of us are chameleons. Yeah. Because we've been taught to be. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, listen, I, I had courses in college that taught you to be a chameleon. Yeah. That taught you a forced way of thinking, right? I had training at companies that taught you to adapt, oh, to yeah. match and mirror, to do. Uh, and listen, there's to some extent it works. And if you're in a business development or sales or relationship role, you want to make somebody feel comfortable. Yeah, you it's can get by. Stuff. It's important stuff. Yeah. And being able to kind of like switch or engage that lever, right? And know when to turn it on and off, I think is important, right? Depends on what you do for a living, depends yeah. on who you're surrounded with. Um, you know, like I've seen you put on a Delco accent. Oh, when yeah. I, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Hoagie. Hoagies and water. Now, you know what I mean, though? Like, you're an authentic dude, right? I enjoy authentic people. Yeah. I don't think anybody, especially today, especially after the past two years, bro, COVID, knowing that time is finite, not to get like super deep and philosophical right now. But yeah, it's like, but if it anything's is. given us perspective on shit we want and don't want, it's no bullshit. Nobody's got time for bullshit. Yeah. You know, especially after COVID it's uh, this there's, there's definitely a, there's, there's a subtle movement happening in the shift of like all of our consciousnesses right now where people are realizing that all the fake things that we thought we cared about, we don't give me an example. Uh, I'll put it, well, let's, let's put this, the biggest things would be for me, like, a. If you look at the numbers of Hollywood, the news, um, anything that's like very manufactured and superficial, those are degrading. If you look at the the box offices, if you look at the numbers of viewership that's happened over the past year since COVID started to now, everything's down. And it's because people realize that at the end of the day, things when things are good, you can have the fluff. But when things aren't going good and things are aren't the best that they can be, you start to really notice the cracks. You know, it's like walking into, like I'll use this analogy as a realtor. It's like walking into your dream home and you have these eyes, you're looking all around, you're like, wow, this is beautiful. And then slowly but surely, you know, the realtor might go up to you and be like, hey, not to alarm you, but over here on this wall, that's signs of water damage. You know, this could have been 
well, this could have been last week. This could have been 10 years ago, but there's definitely there. And you want to, you want to ignore it. And I think what COVID has done is it's kind of lifted that a little bit for a lot of people. They now start to notice the cracks of everything that's been inside their foundation, mm-hmm. not only because they've had the time to kind of sit back and look at that, but they also realize like, why the fuck was I ever doing this before? Where was I with this? Why was I doing this? And I think when you start asking those questions and you ask yourself why you're doing anything, you start to really develop the answers for yourself. I I agree. Yeah, the rosy lenses have been lifted for a lot of people. And at first I was justifying it with age. Yeah. Again. Still could be. We're we're not that old. We're not that old. Who the hell knows? (laughs) No idea. But I definitely feel less inclined to entertain certain things that I entertained before, please certain people that I felt compelled to please before, you know what I mean? Um, I guess pay mind to relationships that were no longer mutually beneficial, right? And this is like just legacy shit, right? Old relationships that you just for the sake of preserving something just did it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's like, why? Why? And that's been like the do biggest I sound awakening. <laughs> I think you do. I think, I think we just sound like two old men right now. It's been a long day, bro. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, more I coffee, not, another round. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some asshole made me wake up at 4.45 to work out now. Yeah. I, yeah, I, now I, I cannot emphasize enough, though, how genuinely happy I am having cut out bullshit. Oh, yeah. And again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, right, about the little things like being more present with certain things and spending less time on my phone and and doing things with more intention. And I'm not speaking professionally, I'm speaking personal life strictly, yeah. right? There's, again, a marked difference in, in how, just how I think about shit, like how I approach every day, like the value I get out of something as simple as just hanging out with Lucy. And maybe, maybe it is my daughter, maybe it is, like there's been a paradigm shift though, that's what I know. Yeah. And I used to be the kind of person who really again wanted to go above and beyond to please everybody and now i don't give a flying fuck yeah most of the time you realize that most people don't deserve to be pleased indeed and it's not just that because like that that shows to me that shows like a lack of empathy but what you're really saying is that anybody that has an inability to meet you where you're also at that's that's really what you're cutting out it's not that you're cutting out the bullshit or the fluff it's you're cutting out other people's inability to meet you because if you meet them I mean, I can meet anybody, you know, you can walk up to anybody and you can, you can meet them. You can be fully present sure. nowhere else in the universe. We could be anywhere, but if you're choosing to be there with that person and they're not choosing to be there with you, uh, it's very difficult for me, at least it's very difficult to stay engaged. That's when my, that's when I have quote unquote ADHD. Yeah. Not to mention it's rude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and but f- when everybody, okay, so again, going back to the phones, if everybody's in a room, there's 10 people in a room, everybody's on their phone, are you adapting or are you being rude? Yeah. So are, is this the times that we're currently in? Are, are these the things that we should be doing or are we actually being rude to one another? So taking that, right? All right. Are you inclined to go to a friend? Let's say you guys hang out. Or a family member. Mm-hmm. This is probably better, actually. You're with your family, and somebody's habitually like taking their phone out, right? They're checked out mentally. Are you immediately going to address it with that person? Like, what's your approach, right? Because so I've you tried probably want to, and like yeah, I try to give somebody the benefit of the doubt if it's like the first couple times, whatever, first time, second time, whatever. I notice it, 
like, I don't know, maybe they're something's going on. Yeah. Right. Something pressing something. But if it's like this habitual thing that every time they're with somebody, they're distracted, you know, not only like I struggle with, do I kind of cut this out? Yeah. Or do I confront it head on? Typically, I'm the kind of person that will confront it head on. It definitely makes people uncomfortable. Right. But what's the right thing to do? There's a stark difference between put your fucking phone away and and let me just engage. So I'll use this. The first time I met your friends, uh, when we had like a little little drink and get together, there was one of your friends constantly on his phone. Yeah. And just constant, constant, constant. He would engage in the conversation and he would go right back to his phone. And all I did, I just asked him questions. <laughs> That's all I did. And when he started to like pull away, like I, I found what I, whatever I do, whatever I do, if I notice somebody doing that, I hate calling them out on it because I know that they're just gonna be like, ah, like okay, like I'll put away my phone. But if you just engage them, if you find a new way to engage them, that's when you find you have the realest conversations because they weren't aware, they weren't present, they weren't there, and all of a sudden you pull them for wherever they were, whatever they were thinking about, right to your location, mentally. You know, you you might both physically be there, but a lot of people's minds are usually all on their work. They're on something that's negative that's happening in their life. Rarely is it, oh, I'm so excited to go do this. I'm just here and I can't hold my anticipation. Rarely is it that. So when I see people that are completely checked out, all I do is just pull them in just by asking. And I give them space. And when I, when I say give them space is I show them a level of presence that they've never felt before in any conversation. And that's how, like, that's the value that I bring to the table for most people. When I have a conversation with somebody, if I'm meeting somebody for the first time, it's not that I'm stoic. It's not that I'm um, not anxious. It's that whoever I'm with at that, those exact moments in time, there's nobody else. I don't check my phone. I don't, I don't look away. I might look away to be like to, to give them some type of um, resolve, but it's, it's just more of when you're, in those, when you're in that space and you want somebody to speak and you want to see who they really are, you have to show who you really are. Right. So if you create that space and you, like we talked about earlier, it's like you can, you can go up to somebody you have a problem with or they're not meeting the standards that you set and be pissed and flip out and go crazy, but that's just you trying to control the situation. What you really want to do is give up the control to allow them to develop it for themselves. So empower them, basically, yeah. right? But empowerment through, I want to say it's like you, you're giving them tools and you're empowering them in a certain way, but the reality is you're just allow you're you're just allowing, right? You're allowing yourself to to not feel creating those things. a space. Yeah, yeah. Listen, some people have varying degrees of uncomfort when meeting new people, mm-hmm. right? I mean. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Not everybody's able to go out there and actively extract, let's yeah. call it, right? Try yeah, to make somebody feel what comfortable. I, I feel like an interrogator you know? sometimes. Yeah, no, dude. I, <laughs> I Seriously, I do the same thing. Like, yeah. I'm the annoying dude that asks way too many questions, I think, yeah. sometimes when I meet somebody. But it's like, I, I want somebody to be engaged. Yeah. If you we're here, I mean? we're why here? are we Ex- not here? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We might not be here tomorrow, Nick. Yeah. But I think you're the perfect person to really in general, be hosting a podcast because of what you're describing right now, right? You have this inherent ability to pull shit out. Yeah. And it's not intentional, which is the coolest part. You just bring people to that space that's safe, that's comfortable, right? We talk about this often. If somebody doesn't feel okay, you're generally not going to 
sell them that product, press them, them on it. yeah, make a good impression. A lot of people don't understand that. Yeah, a lot of it is. It, if I boil it down to anything, it is. It comes back to that self awareness. Like I am, I am aware because I'm present. And when I see something that's might not look right, I make sure that it's actually not right first. I don't just call it out, right? Because it might just be my perception. And we talk about this a lot with the. Uh, with it just being your ego, your ego is just your, your past realities playing over and over again. And when you see a new situation pop up and you attach that old line of thinking to it, you're not allowing it to just generally develop. So a lot of the times, especially when I'm first meeting somebody, what I'm really just fighting is myself on past perceptions of meeting other people. And I'm <laughs> going, okay, well, if I, if I, if this person is going to be my new client, let's say I get a Zillow lead. And I call them for the first time, like those first couple seconds of me on the phone, I'm super anxious. But it's an anxious, it's an anxiety of not knowing. It's nothing else. It's not me not like uh, not having confidence in myself. It's me not knowing how the situation is going to go. And then as soon as I speak the words, or they speak the words, now there's moves. It's like you're on a chessboard and you're just moving pieces around. It's no longer about this. You know, that, that's what I like about that flow state is what they call it, is once you're in it, you're not even thinking. You're just reacting. You're giving. You've already studied the information. Dude, unlocking that is only possible when you remove the bullshit, yeah. the distractions. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, that's what I love about yeah. my job is I get to tap into that shit so often, right? Because I've created, again, it took a couple years to get here, but created the space yeah. for me to be able to operate and do what I enjoy doing, right? Before that, distractions upon distractions upon this shit that I need help with. And it's just, unless you deliberately put yourself in that space, it becomes so difficult to achieve flow. Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of that for me is when you're – Let's say if you an emotion comes in, right? So like, well, really, this is a distraction too. Well, an emotion comes in, a lot of people try to control it, or it controls them. And uh, the reality of it for me was pulling back just a little bit and going, I'm gonna feel this emotion, whether it's positive, negative, whatever spin you put on it. I want to feel this emotion without it letting it affect any of my decisions. So it's let's say if you came at me in a very aggressive way, I go, okay, let me perceive this. And the faster you can get that perception down, the faster you're actually able to speak to people because you have that ability to, you're not breaking things down. You're just going, okay, here's this, put this, give them something that they've never seen before. And it's not in a way to stop their approach or to stop them from being aggressive. It's just going, Hey, I don't know if you notice this, here's this. And they either go, they either take the bait or they don't. Hmm. And I hate to call it bait, but at the same time, it's just like a our vocabulary just doesn't have a better word for it. You know, how we talk to people and how we progress through conversations and how we get people to speak. A lot of it's just inherent body language. I get, for me, most conversations are visual. Rarely is it about the content that's actually coming out. It's going, okay, well, how's their demeanor? And if I see some very, very shelled, very, you know, just doesn't want to be any, there in that moment, I go, okay, well, why is the shell here in the first place? Until I address that, I can't even have the rest of the conversation. I can pull little pieces out and see where their jokes at, like where where they where their mindsets at, how they joke around, what they think about. But unless until I do that little like this tiny experiment, it's, there's there's nothing to go off of. 
it's like um, you almost have to make a move in a, in a sense to go, hey, here's where we are. Where are you? And not everybody can handle that. And you find that out. But if they can't handle that, then you have resources to fall back on to go, okay, here, here's something new. Here's something new. It's palpable. It's easier. I think at the same time, like you're, you're a good unpacker. Yeah. Right. Not everybody is gratified by oh, unpacking. Yeah. Not everybody is comfortable unpacking. Yeah. Right. I think it's a very unique skill set. It's very it's weird. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it's not, I think it's more novel yeah. than weird. It's just, it, it's rare. Yeah. You know, you don't really meet a ton of people that can connect on a relatively deep level as quickly as you do yeah. with people that I know for sure, you know, and I've seen you give feedback to, to a few people at this point could be positive could be negative right but you're authentic yeah. man i'll give you that yeah and i think for a lot of it it's when i'm giving feedback it's i want I, I at the end of the day i just want the best for people i want them to be able to walk away from this conversation any conversation i have with them to be not just changed but just be like there is a level of depth that you can go to at any time and it's okay like all the heavy shit, like the reason that I'm, I'm good at any of this is because I was always a negotiator in my family. If there was fights happening, if there was <laughs> the arguments, I was always the peace broker. I'm the guy in the middle that would sacrifice any part of myself just to keep the peace. And growing up, like I was always that guy in my household. You know, so if my mom and stepdad went out, if my brother and my stepdad, even if it was the focus was on me, I would do everything to deflect the attention and then I would fall back and then I would watch everybody go at each other and I'd be like, hey, well, this is where you might be wrong, and this is where you might be wrong. Why, why, do, you, why do you think you chose that role? I and think why at do first you think is... you continue to embrace it, right? Because like it, it kind of seems to me like maybe it was out of necessity to yeah. some extent, and you figured out you were good at it. Yeah, decided to embrace it, right? Yeah, at and first you it's see, survival. You see the impact on other people, right? Mm -hmm. So, I think it's for it for me. It was always uh, it was always at first survival. It's like, this is, this is the only way that I'm going to get through this situation is in, the, in my head at that time. But once that tool got sharper and sharper and sharper and sharper and sharper and sharper, yeah. it's like over that repetition throughout life, you know, people, the one thing I've always listened to in all, in all of these self-help growth uh, books and growth books and all this stuff is if you're good at something, embrace it. So for me, like that's what I'm good at because that was, that was my trial by fire. I was always in some type of conflict. There was always conflict happening around me. You know, dad wasn't there. Mom worked two jobs. Stepdad was really young compared to where my mom was. So he didn't have the tools to really raise us. So what it comes down to is having that ability within all of that to just understand. Come from a place where you know things aren't going well, but you're able to make things go a little bit better because you've decided to pull yourself back. It also came with the price of a lot of anger originally. Yeah, sure. Because what you would do is you would take the emotions from other people and you would hold on to it. But my biggest learning piece, and I didn't learn this until I was like 27, 28, where I met my first mentor, was being able to give that feedback and help people without holding on to the information. And I think if there's been any big shift in my life, it's been able to dive deep with people without holding on to so it's like I don't give myself up. I'm always myself, and I always have this energy. 
And because people people will try to take it and, and siphon it away because it feels good. But what I found is if I don't give it away from myself, they might still take it, but if I don't give it away from myself, it's never gone. And the, for a lot Nick of... Nick Garcia, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, this is me. Hey, yeah. <laughs> but he, like uh, a lot of it's come through just controlling. It's not... I'll say the opposite of this. It's not about controlling your emotions. It's about changing your reaction to your emotions. When you feel something, it doesn't mean you have to burst out, go crazy about it. And a lot of that comes back from just studying a little bit of stoicism. That's, you know, people think like, oh, I need to be stoic. I need to be this even keeled person. But what you find is that you still feel everything to every extremity that it can go to. You still feel it. But at the end of the day, it's how you're going to react to those emotions and how you're going to let those emotions come to fruition. Because if you, if you put a stopper on them, it's now repression. If you let them go too wild, now you're aggressive. You look like a fucking wild man. So I try to find somewhere, some happy medium in between that. Sure. And I know for a lot of people, they struggle with that specifically. And they just don't address it. They don't say it. They never talk about it. It was always a taboo subject at the dinner table. And what I do for other people is I go in there and I say, hey, it's not taboo. We're all going through it. I've been through it. Here's my dark-ass history. Here's my dark-ass past. What's yours? And once you share that with somebody and you set the stage, as we talked about earlier, there's there's no room for it anymore. There's no room for that fluff that you were going to give me. There's no room for this inability to not hear it because now you're there. And it's both you and it's like, it comes back to that Theodore Roosevelt, man, the arena. You know, it's like, it, it doesn't matter when anybody says, does, if you choose to be in that arena and you're there, that's all on you. That's like, the, that's the best feeling. It's to be in that all the time. Going through constant struggle, you're, you know, when I hurt my back the other week uh, squatting, it's like I could have easily just taken months off and like, ah, I don't know. I can never squat again, but. You lived in fear that we would call you a pussy if you <laughs> yeah, yeah. showing up, be honest. Come on. Yeah, that's, that's really what it Come was. On. But even that was like, once you have accountability partners, you now have to hold yourself accountable. It's not, it's never, the craziest thing about having accountability partners, it's never your partners holding you accountable. It's you holding yourself accountable to your partners. Hell yeah, man. So I'm, I'm going to draw a quick business parallel. We operate on a system called WIGS, Wildly Important Goals, mm-hmm. right? So operations has their goals, sales has their goals, and we take a look at them every week, right? So for operations, it may be avoiding pricing errors, right? Up to a certain amount. It may be ensuring that a certain number of RFPs are sent out every day. For sales, it may be ensuring that this prospecting activity has been done or this many contracts were executed or you know, what have you, but both of them kind of both promote growth for the company, right? And it's like the best way to align these two very diametrically opposed business units, right? It's yeah. like everybody's feeding in towards this mutual success. And if you're missing your wildly important goal, right? You're letting yourself down you're letting the team down and it's yeah. all there on the board for everybody to see, yeah. right? So it's not as much about the result as it is about the work you're putting in on a daily basis. And again, it's fully transparent and available for the team to observe, right? So it's almost impossible to fail Yeah. when you have a system like that, right? Unless you just don't give a shit about shame. Unless, <laughs> unless you just suck as a person. <laughs> I'm right? that guy. Um, 
but that whole principle, the book, the book is for disciplines of execution, the wigs or the program that it's kind of structured off of. But we found a lot of success in that program because again, it's, you're letting the team down, you're letting yourself down. All of your shit is aired out there for everybody to see. And you said, used one term that was, to me is the most important part of any friendship, business relationship, it's accountability, right? Yeah. Having accountability partners is the most important thing in the world. Personal relationships, right? So us waking up at 5.30, I've told people this before, like the people who are asking why, yeah. right? Why are you doing this five times yeah, a week at 5.30 in the morning? Yeah. It's because I have accountability partners, man. Yeah. I'll be letting other people down. Mm -hmm. You know, if it was me doing this alone, I mean, let me, let me turn this on to you. How, how many consecutive mornings would you wake <laughs> up at 5 a.m. to work out? If you didn't have anybody knowing, well, let's put it this way: the one Monday that we missed, didn't wake up at five, and I lifted at like twelve thirty yeah. in the afternoon. Yeah. So I think it's a pretty clear indicator of of how that really goes when Hell it's yeah. just you, because it, it becomes infrequent when nobody else is holding you accountable and nobody else knows the that you're doing this. I mean, you should still do it, but that's the thing: is like I could have easily gotten out of bed at five, gone to the gym, lifted at five thirty, but instead I was like, oh, we're not meeting at five. I can sleep in today. I'll justify this. And then as soon as you justify it, you're like, oh, I feel disgusting with myself. Like I have to go lift now. And that's how the conversation happened. Like, I think it was like three Mondays ago or something like that. But, uh, I remember I went back to sleep it's now like eight 30. I wake up. I'm like, Oh, this feels pretty damn good. And then from like eight 30 to about 1130, I was like, oh, I, I got to lift. Uh, I just like, I, I gotta go. I gotta do this or I'm not going to do it again. And this really disgusting, weird, um, manipulative battle happened between like my my conscious and my subconscious. That's just how I describe it. I don't know how, what better what verbiage. Feelings would be, but. mutual, man. Yeah. If I like skip working out or just really delay any important task, it looms over you for the oh, yeah. entire day. And something about the stress that that causes <laughs> yeah. is disabling. Yeah. Right. It's like. It just compounds. Yeah, you're like, oh. the course of the day. Yeah, it's the interest it's like, that you don't want. Yeah, yeah, it's really <laughs> such a real estate guy. Um, <laughs> it's really bizarre. It's really bizarre. So something I wanted to ask you, you know, the back half of this conversation, right? I, I think we started a lot of business, which yeah. is great, right? Back half was more, let's call it self help. Yeah. Right. What are you looking to deliver? What's your message for this podcast, man? Because I feel like you can go in a couple different directions and maybe not defining it at all yeah. is the best policy. But I feel like there's so much value that yeah. you can add here. A lot of it's going to come down to, I don't know if I'm going to have a central message, but I just want to, I want to give people a spotlight. I want to, I want people, at the, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to deliver help in a unique way. And that's really what it comes down to is my goal is to talk to all these business owners and, and people that are involved at higher levels of, of positions and, and really grind down to what it took to get there. Because I, I want to make things that don't seem obtainable, obtainable. At the end of the day, that's, what I, that's my goal for other people. If they can't see it, they don't know a roadmap to get there, they don't know how to get there, all I want to do is be like, hey, this is what's in the way. This is where you can go, and this is how you can get there. That's beautiful. It's, it, it's shocking how few resources there are yeah. available that 
can kind of show you how, you know, and there's a few really, really great business podcasts, like how I built this, right, which are, again, you have the founder of Peloton on there talking Mm -hmm. about a trillion rounds of funding and how they almost lost the company a billion times and all these amazing stories. But at the same time, it's like, all right, that's a unicorn. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. Right. There were several, several similar companies that came before them and failed. Yeah. But slightly more practical, right? Let's talk mid small business. Super attainable for yeah. a lot of people. Very right? attainable. Like I told you, I was blessed in that I had family that was very entrepreneurial, you know, and I had a mother that really supported that insane work ethic. Yeah. Right. So like my mom, absolute angel could have (laughs) reacted a bit differently to my dad's work habits. Yeah. Um, And I managed to find an amazing wife who, like my mom did with my father, kind of supports how nutty I get about things sometimes. Oh, yeah. We all do. Specifically (laughs) work. Yeah. So I think all that stuff's really important. But, like, for you finding people to really just talk about what led them to that point, right? That point where they were like, okay, I have this paralyzing, but amazing idea. Yeah. This thing that I want to do. Cause I mean, for me, it was like, cool. I had these people that I looked up to. I had people to ask for advice. I had networked my way to an opportunity and I took advantage of it. Right. sounds really simple on paper, but that's after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of supply deals that I worked my ass off for, right? Thousands of conversations. Oh yeah. Um, you know, cold calling, prospecting, everything you do to build a book oh, yeah. of business and sales. All this ugly shit, right? But for me, it was a combination. It was speaking with people, learning exactly what to do, seeing things like a future for myself, right? At these companies that I didn't particularly want and having the foresight to understand that there's something better out there. And it was resources like this, yeah, right? I told you this before. And a lot of people <laughs> have kind of a negative perception of him, but even something like Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Yeah. Who at this point is a little bit out there in my opinion. Yeah. Right? But It's more of a commodity. More of a commodity, but overall great guy with a great story and a great message that everybody at this point should know. And if you don't, check out his podcast, right? But resources like that that kind of just encourage you to stop listening and start doing yeah are invaluable and if you could find people to spread that message while you spread your message yeah right which is more powerful arguably i think you've got a recipe for success i do too because it comes back to what you're talking about earlier where what i'm really good at is unpacking right so if you can get in front of the right people who are willing to unpack their story of success and how they got there and where they're going and the struggles that they've come with, it just makes it easier for the next person to take the steps. And that's really all this podcast is going to be about is just, I want to make it easier for other people to take steps. And if you can share yourself and you can share it with people that are already at high level positions, everything seems more obtainable. And there's a, there's a definitely a level of dread or existentialism that we're all facing as a culture in general, not even a culture, but just a, a human culture since uh, this, this COVID has been around. And if we can bring up just a, even a little bit of hope back into the realm, I think it's just going to make everything easier for everyone.
I know it sounds like hokey pokey, but no, at the same at time, it's not at all. It's absolutely necessary, man. So people need to heal. I've got something for you. We're thinking about starting an entirely new company, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be very from the ground up. Yeah. It uh, kind of supports the ESG movement, environmental social governance, takes advantage of a lot of the policy from the Biden infrastructure plan. And yeah. It's going to be really fucking rough. <laughs> yeah. right because there's a lot of unknowns at this only point. because so, you said it's going to be only because i say it's going to be right <laughs> i'd love an opportunity to come on and let everybody know how it's going yeah without a doubt that'd be awesome it'd it be might the be first a three tonight. hour bitch fest <laughs> yeah it's be a reoccurring <laughs> oh well things just not going so well <laughs> i quit i'm broken i'm defeated <laughs> yeah, i'm done but i think it'll be a really interesting experiment right because when i came into green crown the business was somewhat established Mm-hmm. It definitely needed some TLC, right? Like we're at triple the revenue that we were three years ago. Things have changed yeah. for the positive, but I didn't start that from scratch, right? This is going to be my first endeavor really first starting from the ground up. And yeah. it's like just thoughts on paper right now. It's like a one pro forma and a couple slides. Yeah, That's all it is. Uh, but we have a couple meetings coming up with somebody I want to ask to be on our board who's knows his shit. Certainly knows a lot more than I do in the space. Yeah. So we're taking the right steps to move it along and should have some good updates soon. Well, I think for you, you've shown yourself that you can take over the wheel of some other car that's already driven or it's already in drive and it's already going. So the the biggest change is going to be taking a car from stop to get it up to that speed where you took over. Sure. So if you're looking back at it now, now you have the opportunity to learn the whole other aspect of the business. And if you can learn that piece and you learn how to be able to drive all the time, then you're just maximizing how you're going to move forward in life in general. You're going to have those opportunities. You're going to have that knowledge to now pass on and give to other people. Who's going to carry the boats, Nick? Not me. Who's going to carry the boats? <laughs> this is true. Somebody's got to carry, carry, carry the damn boats. It's going to carry the boats. It's been two hours. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. We officially just hit the two-hour mark. Nice. 20 seconds ago. How come you get the timer and I don't? Because uh, it faces me. Ah, I see. <laughs> they need to make this mutually friendly on the other side. Yeah. And one day. One day this will actually be attached to a computer. I just have stuff to figure it out. Nice. So we're on a pool table right now <laughs> yeah. for those of you at home. Yeah, I think it's a pretty table. great setup. No, this is awesome. It's you very professional. My... Nick's got all the gear. Yeah. He rests my forearms on here. Podcast to go. Yeah. Podcast on the go. So... Yeah. I guess on a parting note, I just want to say that I'm very, very happy you've selected me to be on here first before Ben Shapiro, who I know is coming on next week, and Jordan Peterson. <laughs> He's next. And <laughs> Jocko. Yeah, I know Jocko. you've got Goggins coming yeah, in. It's already on the way. Early January. So, no, no, no. Yeah. On Ellen a, DeGeneres. On a, on a sincere note, I am super fucking proud of you, man. This is awesome that Appreciate you've got it, this together. You've got... A bunch of other shit going on right now. Oh, yeah. I know, like this is like the fifth new thing. Yeah. Um. Not to, not to make it seem like it's any less important, but I feel like you've made all these super positive changes and committed to all these awesome things. Yeah. Without recently, a doubt. so it's just it's beautiful to see it. It's here. Live. It's into fruition. We're it's here. Amazing. Yeah, it's awesome, and I really appreciate you coming on as the first guest. It's like I didn't know how I was gonna do this or who I was gonna have it with and all this stuff, but. I have people lined up now and it feels good to kind of to have that progression because before you're going, the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> what am I going to do? How's it going to be? But 
the biggest things I've, I've learned in any book recently and any mentorship of the past three years is just, you just do stop thinking, get out of your head and go do it. So I appreciate the words. And now this is when the work gets put in because this is, this is the action. This is what you're listening to. You're listening to the actual action of taking the step. And that's what's kind of cool about a podcast is this is, this is the result of <laughs> that. Yeah. So, you need some sponsors, don't you? Yeah, we're gonna have to do some sponsorship. Should we sell it right now? Yeah, yeah, we'll sell what's, it. What's the value prop here? What do we got? We'll have to do ad time. Okay. Yeah, we'll do like um, we'll reach out to uh, Trojan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll reach out to Trojan. We'll reach out to uh, Durex. Dur- oh wow, you're, it's a very <laughs> yeah. specific market you're targeting, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah. I think ad space will be the good hit, the good way to do it though, because then you just um. But we'll have to do reads. That'll be the addition. We're doing reads. I like mid episode. Do you have the B plan fired up and ready to go? No, not at all. Let's crack into it together, baby. Yeah, we'll have to make it. We'll make this business plan because that's why I created that business. That's why I have NRG Productions. Love it. NRG Productions. Not to be confused with NRG Energy. Yeah, NRG Energy. Terrible. Yeah, <laughs> they're only doing like twenty billion a year. Yeah, no that's deal. mediocre numbers. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Those are you, baby numbers. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah. 20 bill. Yeah. Coming to you soon. There'll be merch. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have some cool merch. Oh, hell yeah. Lincoln Bill with Miguel. Premium merch. Yeah. What are we talking? Yetis? Nah, it's made in China. It's garbage. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Why do I why did I think Yeti was an American? Designed company? in have Texas. They sold me a lie? I want you to go on the bottom of your Yeti when you get upstairs. It's oh, God, no. designed in Texas, <laughs> made in China. <laughs> Those are the exact words on them. <laughs> Uh, designed by Apple in California, made in Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Speaking of Bangladesh, <laughs> <laughs> did you know? <laughs> did you know that Stanford University came out and studied? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. This is good. This is a good one. <laughs>